0: Welcome Jubilee Familia. How we doing? I didn't hear this side as much. All right, there we go. There we go. I want to welcome you. My name is Pastor Jake. Uh, I get the pleasure to teach here and serve on the team. And uh, we're going to have some fun this morning. Are you up for it? Come on, say, God speak to me. Say, rattle my cage. You prayed it, okay? Watch out. We're starting a brand new series this week, okay? And, it, and uh, it's an expository series. What does that mean? Okay. It means we're gonna go through the book of 2 Timothy. So I wanna challenge you ahead of time. I wanna challenge you this week, in the next couple weeks, to dig into the book of 2 Timothy. Study it, read it, maybe just glance through it first, get a bird's eye view, and then as the weeks go on, start to dig, dig deep. Today, I'm gonna set the stage. All right. I'm going to I'm going to give you the soundtrack to, to the book of 2 Timothy. And and then we're going to start to unpack it through the next couple weeks. And I think this will lay the groundwork it'll it'll give you the soundtrack to the movie if you will so so that you can hopefully be a little interested. You see, I see my role as a teacher as as just a tour guide. I just want to point things out. I want to walk with you for the next several minutes and go, hey, uh, did you notice that? Wink, wink, nudge, nudge. Did you not notice that? Did you see this? And my hope is that Holy Spirit will speak to you in the middle of this. And he's going to speak to you in a unique way. And it might be different than the person that's sitting next to you. And that's okay. That's a good thing. That's why we're here, aren't we? Paul wrote this letter, and it was his last letter that he wrote. And when he wrote this, most of his letters that he wrote were written to the church. So they were given to the church and they would stand up and read these letters to the whole church. But 1 Timothy, 2 Timothy, and Titus are kind of rare in the sense that they weren't written to the church. They were written to an individual, to a young man by the name of Timothy who was a pastor at a church in Ephesus. And so 2 Timothy is deeply intimate. It's deeply personal. It's not written with this broad stroke, this big brush to, to everyone. It's written specifically to what is going on in the time and in the context of the church that Timothy was pastoring. And so my hope is as we unpack some of these broader things and, and, and hear and listen to the tone that Paul is writing, in, that you're going to walk away with a couple things. But first, let's dig in to our opening text, and it's found in the book of Mark. If you've got your Bible, open it up. Chapter 12, verses 28, you can follow along on the screen. It says this. One of the Torah scholars, right, the Torah, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, the law scholars, the ones that studied it, came and they heard them debating. And seeing that Yeshua, or Jesus, had answered them well, he asked him this question, which commandment is first of all? What is the most, could you sum it all up, Jesus? What? All 613 commandments of the law, of the Torah? Yeah, can you sum it all up? What's the greatest commandment? Yeshua answered him and he said this, the first is, and may, maybe you've heard this before, it's famous, it's known as the Shema in Jewish circles, and he says this, it would be the same thing Jesus would pray in the morning, every morning, and in the evening with his disciples, Shema Israel Adonai Lehenu Adonai Echad, means "Hero Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. And you shall love Adonai or the Lord your God with all your what? Heart, with all your with all your and with all your and the second is just like that. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. There is no other commandment greater than these. Another version in Matthew says you can hang all of the other commandments on that hook right there. Love God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength, and like the first, love your neighbor as yourself. If you were to study the Ten Commandments, you would find the first five commandments that God gives to his people is about loving God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength. And the latter five you can break down is a commandment to love others you can hang all of them on these things come on would you pray with me holy spirit we just invite you today to challenge us to speak to us we come in week in and week out and it's so easy to just kind of uh just hear white noise and we don't want that this morning We want something new. We want something fresh. So we open up your word. May it illuminate to us. May it be a light unto our path, God. And we will lean into that. In your name we pray, everyone said. I have a confession. Um, I'm a recovering Bronco fan. (laughs) I know. I've been in secret in the last five or six years. Like many of you, right? But I grew up loving the Denver Broncos. I, uh, John Elway, Sammy Winder, Tom Jackson, you name it, Super Bowls, I, I, I loved them in the bad times, and I loved them in the good times. But in the last five years, not so much. <laughs> Hopefully that changes, amen? <laughs> I, I loved them in here, right, with my, with my heart, but I, I, I was a little hesitant to wear my Bronco jersey, <laughs> to actually show it. Can I be a little personal this morning? (laughs) I'm a recovering legalist. Not that I chose to be. It was what I grew up in. I was naturally biased to this. In an older version of Jake, (laughs) I grew up with the mentality that, that I had to do in order for God to love me. The older prodigal syndrome, right? That God would love me only based on how I acted, on on how holy I could be. I I was even taught this in church, so it it was just a bias I had. I couldn't help it. I still sometimes struggle with that. Can I be a little more personal? I'm a recovering racist. Oh, we're going there. maybe racist is too strong but it's definitely biased not by choice my mom was white my dad was white my grandparents were white all i knew was the white culture i grew up in a school where 80 percent of my friends were white kids it wasn't, it was integrated, it had some ethnicity. One of my best friends, his name was Michelin, he was black, and I loved him. But but how many of you know when you're biased and you just don't know, you can say and do stupid things, right? I didn't have the intention, my heart wasn't that way. But sometimes my actions. Were, I remember going over to Michelin's his house as just a kid, and, and we were just we were good friends. We never thought about the differences. Like we just connected on what we uh, on our, our we celebrated our what we loved together. And I remember going into his house and eating dinner with him. And first of all, going like collard greens. What is collard greens? <laughs> well, I've never had this before, right? And, and I, said, I said, in just small talk over dinner, I said, you guys seem to like a lot of African art. You, you don't say that. Like, you just, you, right? But I didn't know any better. My, my action, my heart was in the right place. My mind, I wanted to love. I wanted to not be that way. But sometimes you are biased that way. In an older version of me, it took me several versions of Jake to walk through That, to learn that. My senior year in high school, I I moved to South Carolina. And I'd never experienced racism like that. I never experienced the black students sat at all these tables and the white students sat at all these tables. And Even if my heart, if if my mind, if my emotions, if my thoughts were like, this is wrong, I don't like this, I should do something about this, I didn't know what to do, it was so much bigger than me. Does that make sense? I didn't know how to make it flesh and blood, I didn't know how to act on, even if I had stood up on the lunch table and said, guys, can't we just all get along, mix it up? The black people would have been like, sit, your, sit you down, man, come on. <laughs> Both, like it was just the culture. It was, and I didn't know my heart was in the right place. My mind, my thoughts were, but I didn't know how to, how to flesh it out. I didn't know how to do this. And there's a lot of older versions of me. You say, "Why do you keep saying older versions?" Jesus says that when you when you come to follow Jesus, when you come to follow Him, He says it's like being born again. And a lot of times, we relate that to just our conversion. But I think that as we walk with Jesus, we are continually being born again. We are waking up to new versions. If you're not the, the, the only person I look, I feel bad for is the person that's still stuck in version number one because we should be changing as we walk with Jesus. As lights are turned on and, and the Holy Spirit is speaking to us, things should change. And, and Jesus says, the greatest commandment of all is that you love the Lord God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. And these two commandments are sometimes are hard for us in our culture and how we, how we live. A lot of times I see it kind of like this. There's this separation that we kind of have where it's kind of uh, our mind and our body, right? Our flesh, our, our thoughts, you know, our soul, our spirit, right? It all of, a lot of times we can say the right things, we can feel the right things, in our mind, we can think towards doing, oh yes, I, I want to project good things, but a lot of times, actually doing it, right? Our body, our actions, our flesh, it's hard to do that, isn't it? I mean, come on, we've all done this. Thoughts and prayers. And maybe the greatest thing that, 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 that is hard for our generation that lives in in social media is that it becomes easier for us to project our thoughts and our mind and not actually do anything and still feel like we're doing something. Just because you post something on Instagram doesn't mean you marched alongside Martin Luther King Jr. Hello? And I feel like Paul is writing towards the end of his life. He's just around the corner from dying. He's in prison. Things aren't good. And he writes with this tenacity like, you know how easy it is, like in a marathon and a race, towards the last 10% to just mail it in, right? To just kind of coast. Paul in 2 Timothy is the total opposite. He's got this endurance to love God and love others like no one else. And it's right towards the end of his life. It's like he's giving his best towards the end. How do we do that? How do we endure loving God with all our heart, right? Our thoughts, our mind, our soul, but also our strength, our flesh, our actions, how do we love our neighbors in that same way and how do we endure to do that that's the question that i want to answer today so let's get some uh context to second timothy to where where and when paul is writing this letter if i were to tell you um, someone 200 years ago uh hey i went and took johnny on a drive around the block he would have a lot of questions right he'd be like first who's johnny (laughs) don't know who johnny is What is it driving? I don't understand that. And what is around the block, right? He wouldn't understand it. And yet when we read the scriptures, a lot of times we read it from our filter, from our, you know, 21st century perspective, our American perspective. And we got to remember to read it in context. We got to remember to read it in the world it was written. And then it will become a lot more powerful when you understand the context, so what is the context of this letter that Paul is writing? Well, it was written, we, we feel pretty confident it was written by Paul. In the last 200 years, some theologians have started to argue this. Um, uh, without going too nerdy on you and too, into too much detail, I think we can pretty easily be confident to say that this was Paul's style. It was his voice. It was him writing this letter. And he's writing this letter several years after Jesus had walked the earth. In fact, we believe it was written around 67 AD. Everyone say 67 AD. And it was written to a city uh, called Ephesus. Everyone say Ephesus. Now, I want to show you a map of Ephesus here, okay? This is the Middle East kind of area. Over here, you're going to see Jerusalem, all right, and what would be Israel, up here towards the north would be modern-day Turkey or uh, uh, Asia Minor, okay? And there where you see that circle on the coast is a city called Ephesus. And Ephesus would be a large port city. So a lot of commerce, a lot of trade happening, a lot of people. In fact, we estimate almost a quarter of a million people lived during the time that Timothy is living as a pastor at the church in Ephesus. Ephesus is the fourth largest city in the capital of Greece and the first and greatest metropolis in Asia. How many of you know gladiator fights? Have you ever heard of that? Gladiator fights started here in Ephesus, right? Russell Crowe lived here. (laughs) Uh, Sports would would be a heavy context, would be a part of the, the daily conversations, the Olympics, right? Started in Greece. We would see this. In fact, a lot of what I'm talking about, when you go back to read Second Timothy, you're going to be like, ding, ding, ding. Oh, when he talks about crowns, he's talking about the Olympics, the, the wreaths, the crowns they would wear. When he's talking about the race that they run, this is all references to, to the gladiator fights, to, to uh, Greco-Roman uh, uh, Olympic uh, races and whatnot. Timothy is a young pastor. We believe he's probably in his 20s, but he could be between his 20s and 40s, but he is young. It's kind of different that a youthful, young person is pastoring such a big city or such a big church in a big city. It is a major city, and because of that, is it is a major church. It is central to the growing Christian movement that's happening. Timothy, the pastor of this church, would go and visit Paul in Rome, and he would come back and he would ultimately die in this city. He would hand it over to the disciple that we know of as John. Not John the, the baptizer, but John the disciple who, who would also die in this city, as well as Mary, the mother of Jesus, who lived here. If you remember, John took care of her after Jesus asked her to. There was a temple there. All, if you know Greek culture, if you remember history class, Right, the Greeks worshipped many gods, and one of the gods that was worshipped here was a god by the name of Artemis. Everyone say Artemis. Artemis, Artemis was a big deal in Ephesus, and because of that, they made a huge temple. Uh, the, you could relate it to a, a building in Washington, D.C., massive structure. And because it became a place of daily worship of this god, there was a lot of sacrifices, and therefore a lot of animals purchased. And it ended up becoming a large bank. Many large deposits would be made to this bank. When Paul writes in 2 Timothy, you'll hear him drop phrases like deposits. These are all speaking to the people and the Timothy that lives in Ephesus. Now let me show you where Paul is writing this letter from. So if Timothy's in Ephesus, Paul is writing this letter in a city called Rome. Anyone remember Rome. Yeah, you better. All right, you didn't go too far in high school. Let me show you where Rome is. So, if Ephesus is there, way over there is Rome. It's quite a distance, isn't it? And Paul is writing, not just in a hotel. In fact, he's writing from a Roman prison. This would be his second visit to this Roman prison, and it would be his last visit. Now you may think, well, is a Roman prison like a some of our modern day lockup place? No, 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 much different. Uh, one uh, uh, Roman writer uh, would write from that period of time, around forty BC. He would write a description of this Roman prison. This is how he would describe it: about twelve feet deep, closed all around by strong walls and a stone vault. Its aspect is repugnant and fearsome from its neglect, darkness, and stench. Not something you see on Airbnb, right? (laughs) Repugnant, stench, dank, dark. I want to show you a picture of the actual Roman prison that we know Paul was at. Here's one picture. Not so comfortable, is it? Now, you may be going, hey, I see an upside-down cross. What is that in there? <laughs> the Catholic Church would go into this place and build a, an altar, a, a memorial there for guy, another disciple by the name of Peter, who also stayed in the same prison cell. Peter was crucified upside down. And this was a memorial to Peter, honoring him as well. But you see, can you, can, you, can you feel what Paul is writing can you in the tone that he's writing, like like this isn't some optimistic place? In fact, there are several times in Second Timothy he writes and he says, he uses words like "Don't be ashamed of me of the work that I do." Why would he be ashamed? Because he's in shackles in a dank, dark place. Like like right on that little red, little ledge, Paul sits down and begins to write a letter to Timothy. Now, Rome is interesting where he's writing this and the Christian church at that time. Because three years prior to Paul sitting down and writing this letter, Rome has what we know as the great fire. And a lot of Rome is burned down. You say, well, what's a fire? Well, we estimate 70% of Rome is burned to the ground. Now just think of Denver. 70% of Denver, just like that, overnight, boom, boom burning down it would devastate things wouldn't it wouldn't you want someone to blame yes now at the time the emperor is a guy by the name of Nero Nero he's an interesting cat okay he, he's, he starts out decent he's not super bad but he ends up being one of the most evil emperors that ever lived he's away when Rome is burned down and because he's away, a lot of people blame Nero for doing it. So in order to shift the blame, Nero does something. He begins to blame the Christians. Now we know Nero's wife was a believer. She followed Yeshua Jesus. Maybe it was part of that. I don't know. But Nero decided that he was going to put all the blame on the Christians at the time. One uh, Roman historian, he described Nero's actions as this. Consequently, to get rid of the report of the fire, Nero fastened the guilt and inflicted the most exquisite tortures on a class hated for their abominations called Christians by the populace. Accordingly, an arrest was first made of all who pleaded guilty of being Christians Then upon their information, an immense multitude was convicted, not so much for the crime of firing the city, of starting the fire, as of hatred against mankind. This is the context that Paul is living in now. Three years. The church is not just easily serving God. There are Christians being put on posts and lit on fire just to give Nero's garden some light at night. It's not so easy to follow Jesus anymore. Now at the same time, happening in Israel, they're in the middle of a Jewish revolt. They're sick and tired of Rome, and just three years later, Rome will come into Jerusalem and destroy it and utterly lay out the temple, and it would be the last time the Jews would have a temple to travel to, to worship to. If you go to Israel today, you'll see remnants of that temple that Rome destroyed. At the same time that Paul is writing this, James, the brother of Jesus, is dead. Peter is murdered. And Paul sits down and puts pen to paper and says, dear Timothy... The tone is final, the tone is very intimate, and the tone is strong. Why? Not just the culture that was going on, but the spiritual tone that was also happening. And Paul has to address all this. You see, there was these beliefs at the time, without getting into too much, that shaped the spirituality and began to shape some of the church's theology. And Paul had to address it. How many of you remember uh, Socrates, right? Socrates would train uh, Plato, and Plato would have a great influence on Greek thought, right? On on, on Greek theology, and and he would uh, later pass it on to Aristotle. And and what what he would teach would also go on to teach a, a sect or a belief that we know as Gnosticism. Now what is that belief? What is going on as Paul's writing this? You see Plato taught this thing and this was, this is what was kind of becoming the consensus was that you are here is earth and this is me, right? And you live your life and at the end of your life there was this celestial palace that you would go to where your spirit your soul would separate and leave your earthly body and the earth and you would rest the rest of eternity in a place called Elysium if you watch gladiator he makes mention of this right and this was a paradise if you will And if you didn't do well, if your thoughts and your spirit were bad, there was a place called Tartarium. And this was like a subterranean torture place. Now, what the thought that happened and what would begin to be a main belief was that the spirit, your soul, your mind, your spirit, um, your thoughts, um, do, do you see the picture? It's like th- these ethereal, um, the things you can't touch, right, the, y- your feelings, <laughs> right, all of these things, even, even the cosmos, right, the things you can't touch, the things, you, the things that are up here, and because if these things were right, your thought was you would go to Elysium, then the things of your body, your flesh, uh, your actions, right, what you do, um, dirt, <laughs> like, like the physical things, material, <laughs> let's just put that, material, all of these things were seen as bad, and there was this thought and this idea within Gnosticism and, and Plato, Plato, Platonic theology that said, you know, all, all of your thoughts and your spirit and your feelings and your emotions and all those spirit things, those things you can't touch, those are the things that are redeeming. Those are the things that are heavenly. Those are the things that are good. And in the meantime, we live on this earth of dirt and material and body and flesh, and these are bad. Now you can easily look at that and go, that looks kind of familiar. Let me help you a little bit here. Heaven, hell. And it's easy to see how this way of thinking had seeped into it. Now, you may look at this and you may go, yeah, that looks familiar. You may even look at this and go, I know people that believe this right now. Maybe you're even sitting here go, going, yeah, that, I kind of thought that as well. The only problem with this is this is not what the, the, the Bible talks about. And this is definitely not what Jesus talks about. And if you live this way, and and, and, and this was very predominant in Roman culture and Greek, and let me ask you this, is this predominant in our culture too, that when you live this way, then it's easy to separate the body, the flesh, and the actions from your life. So, Using your body in any kind of sexual pleasure, it doesn't matter as much because that's flesh. It's body. It's not spirit. It's not soul. So it's easy to separate. It's easy to have material things, right? And to not, not think anything of that. To, to see that as a separate thing and not that it affects your whole life. I think if you're listening to this, I think you can see how this very thought leaks into our church, not our church specifically, but the church as a whole. Let, let's play a quick game here. Let me, I'm going to put some words up, and you tell me, what is it tied to mostly? These, these things that we read about, in fact, we read about in 2 Timothy. How about this? Prayer. What is prayer? could be both, Maybe. Maybe some of you say it's more of a thought, a spiritual thing. How about this? Believing the right theology. Maybe thinking, right? Thoughts. Not as much action. No, that doesn't really have to do with body, flesh. How about gossip? Maybe gossip can be thought. Maybe it can be both, Right? Maybe it starts with thought and transfers other ways. How about raising a child in the ways of Christ, in faith? That's an action thing maybe, right? Like You have to put flesh and blood into that, not just thought. How about laying on of hands, right? As we read about in the scriptures, what's that? That's an action, right? That's flesh and blood. That's a transfer of something. How about power? Ooh. Maybe thinking. Maybe it can be an action. Maybe it can be someone. How about love? Ooh. Let's keep going. Self-discipline. Ooh. You see where I'm going? Do you see see how sometimes it becomes it really becomes easy for us sometimes as Christ followers to think that following Jesus is just just a thought sometimes, but there's actually a lot of flesh, a lot of body, a lot of action. That's involved with that. So, how does Paul, how is he able to do this? If this is the incorrect way of thinking, how does Paul navigate this? What helps him endure so that he can love God with all his heart, mind, soul, strength, love his neighbor as himself, not just with feelings, thought, spirit, soul, but with his body? flesh and dirt and material thing like how does he navigate this there's two overarching thoughts that i think paul has here and i want to give them to you the first one is found in second timothy verses one through uh verses three through ten chapter one verses three through ten this is what paul writes to timothy He says i thank god whom i serve with a clear conscience as my forefathers did when i continually remember you in my prayers night and day I remember your tears. What's tears? That's flesh, isn't it? Right? It's not just thought. It's, it's something that goes deeper. I remember your tears. And I long to see you so that I may be filled with joy. I recall the genuine faithfulness within you. What does that mean? Genuine faithfulness. It, it, he's saying your authentic faithfulness, who you are. What you say lines up with your actions. You don't put on a mask. You're not a hypocrite. What you say, your thoughts, your spirit line up with your body, actions, and what you do. Which first lived in your grandmother, Lois, and your mother, Eunice. And I'm sure it is within you as well. Listen to this. For this reason, I remind you To fan into flame the gift of God, which is in you through the laying on of hands. What is this? For God has not given us a spirit of timidity, but of power and love and self control. Therefore, do not be ashamed of the testimony of our Lord. Or of me, his prisoner. Remember, don't be ashamed, he's saying. He's writing from this prison. But share in suffering. For the good news, according to the power of God, he has saved us and called us with a holy calling, not because of our deeds, not just because of our actions, but because of his own purpose and grace. This grace was given to us in Messiah Yeshua Jesus before time began, and now has been revealed through the appearing of our Savior, Messiah Yeshua. Indeed, he nullified the power of death and brought life and immortality to light through the good news. Why is he talking about the resurrection is real and God did, Jesus did beat death? Because we're living in a time where the body, in fact, they they would argue in this time that Jesus didn't rise from the dead. And Paul's going, are you crazy? They're saying, "No, no, no, it's just good enough that Jesus existed as a spirit. No, 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 Paul says. We have to talk about this. It's more than just spirit and soul. His body died and it was resurrected. He beat death. He beat death. I love this because Paul's saying, listen, you've got a fan into flame, Timothy. You've got a fan into flame. There was this time when, when, when the elders laid hands on you and gifts the holy spirit holy spirit filled you and gave you gifts and you need to fan into flame when moses is walking in the desert he sees a burning bush you remember this he sees a burning bush and if you study horticulturists have studied this and they'll say that that we believe you know we know what kind of bush it was and that the flame it didn't reside in the bush okay we know that the bush didn't It wasn't consumed. It wasn't burned up. So, what they believe is that the flame rested above the bush. Just a little time later, God would come rest on a mountain, and He would come with a flame that rested above Mount Sinai. Pentecost, (laughs) the disciples. praying, awaiting the Holy Spirit and flames show up above their heads. Genesis says that God created the heavens and the earth, right? And the earth was without form and the Spirit of God hovered over the chaos, over the water. See, there's this image, there's this picture that, that he's giving us. Of this spirit and flesh. And he's he's almost showing us. That how this works. How this integrates. Is that there's this spirit. Right? There there is the the, the ethereal things. Right? The things we know of, of feelings. Thought. All of this with the Holy Spirit. It rests above the physical things. And somewhere in the middle. Right here. It meets somewhere in the middle. There's this magical space somehow where the Holy Spirit now works in your life. And Paul says, Timothy, 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 fan into flame, fan into flame. You have gifts. The Holy Spirit resides on you. It's not just thoughts and spirits, no, no, no. It's much more than that. It's tangible things and gifts that you have, and I'm telling you, fan in the flame. We got an old fireplace in our house. <laughs> like, you know, we gotta actually put wood in it. <laughs> One of my favorite things is when it's gone for several hours and it looks dead. Right, The ashes are covering it. But you can see down below the embers. I love when I put a fresh log on that and I go, just like that. What does it do? You know. It comes back to life. And Paul is telling Timothy, 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 in this time and in this context, In in, in the struggle, in the heat, I need to remind you to fan into flame. Holy Spirit, you cannot do this with just your flesh. You cannot do this with just spirit. It is when spirit meets with your flesh, fan into flame. (sighs) Under the influence of the Holy Spirit, your gifts can interact with your flesh and the world around you to do incredible things. And Paul has to remind us of that. But there's one other thing he tells us to remind us of. And he reminds uh, Timothy as well. In 2 Timothy for chapter 3, verses 14, he says this. You, however, continue in what you have learned and what you have become convinced of. Where did he, what's he learning from? The scriptures. He's, he's, he's understanding the Torah, right? He's reading the Old Testament. He's reading the letters. And he's saying, I'm, for, for, you, for you know from whom you have learned and that from childhood you have known the sacred writings that are able to make you wise, leading to salvation through trusting in Messiah, Yeshua, Jesus. All scriptures is inspired by God and useful for teaching, for reproof, for restoration, for training in righteousness, so that the person belonging to God may be capable, fully equipped for every good deed. There, there is something that happens when we, when we dig into the scriptures, when it, uh, Isaiah, John, the disciple, they tell this, they give us this picture in the scriptures where God gives them the, the Torah and he, he puts it in their mouth. And remember, it says that it was bitter to the tongue or sweet to the tongue, but bitter to the, to the stomach. And he says this, this is what God tells them to do. Eat this book. Eat it. Don't just look at it. Don't just have nice thoughts about it. Consume it. Eat it so that it breaks down into your body and it moves into parts of your soul, into your spirits, and activates and moves and and, and lightens up a fire in your gifts. We, 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 we live in this culture, man. Have you, ever been, have, you, have you ever been out to dinner and you like look over to the table next to you? They bring out like a nice dinner or a meal and they're like, ooh. ooh, did you get a picture of it? Have you seen this, right? Yeah, maybe you do it, right? You're like, oh, this is going on Instagram, right? And, and they're just sitting there, just taking pictures of it, enjoying the look of it. Half the time, I wanna go over there and be like, if you're not gonna eat this, I'm gonna eat this. Because it looks good and I wanna consume it. And I think too many times we just... Look at scripture. We like to post, you know, a verse here and there and and inscribe it on pillows and put it on posters and just, and we're not consuming it. We're not eating it. And the Spirit's saying, eat this book, digest it, so that it becomes second thought in your mind. So it becomes that much a part of your, your body, your flesh. Listen to this quote. I found this. It's from Eugene Peterson's book, Eat This Book. It's so good, man. He says this, for us, for us Jews, studying the Bible is more important than obeying it. Because if you don't understand it rightly, you will obey it wrongly. And your obedience will be disobedience. Let me read that again. <laughs> For us Jews, studying the Bible is more important than obeying it because if you don't understand it rightly, you will obey it wrongly, and for your and your obedience will be disobedience. We gotta eat this book, man. We gotta we gotta chew it. Listen, in times that are crazy, when theology is all wacky and wonky, and we can't tell left from right, and things are happening in culture that we don't understand, eat this book. Eat this book. And when the Holy Spirit hovers over your flesh and your gifts and ignites that, then you can act out. Then you will see how heaven invades earth. Come on. Am I I preaching to anyone? (laughs) Listen to Paul's tone in this. Listen to this. Such a throwaway verse for so many of us. In 2 Timothy 4, verses 13, he says, When you come, he's talking to Timothy. Timothy, when you come... Bring the cloak which I left with Corpus and tra- Troas, along with the scrolls and especially the parchments. Like, this is his last letter. This is his last moment here. Right? He's in a prison. He's going. He's going, Timothy. Timothy, I remember that coat. Oh, I love that coat. Bring that coat. I forgot it. It was. It was summertime in this. But don't forget the parchment. Don't forget the scriptures. Oh, I need the scriptures. He needs it as bad as he needs it. warmth and coat. Do, do, you, do, you, do you see the tone of Paul here? Do you see how Paul is able to endure? And, and even in the last part of his race, he doesn't just, you know, coast it in, but he comes in with a fire because he's eating the scriptures and he's watching what the Holy Spirit does. When, when you're under the influence of the Holy Spirit and the scriptures, man, you can endure and practice a faith that loves God and others with all of your heart, mind, soul, and strength. Let me show you how this works, okay? Let me show you what scriptures tell us about this image, because this is not a biblical image here. What the scriptures teach us is a better way to see it is this way heaven right spirit all those soul you have here and in here you have earth you have flesh you have body you have, I grew up in a time, have you ever heard this? The Bible stands for basic instructions before leaving earth, right? <laughs> and I was taught this early, this, this, this Greek theology that when I die, like I'm going to go to this heavenly place floating in the sky, okay? I, I, and that this earth, I was just leaving this body, Right? I'm never I'm like see you later earth. I don't I don't care about that because I'm going to the floating palace in the sky. But the scriptures actually point a different picture where heaven is meeting with earth. And the place here where it intersects in the Old Testament was a thing called the tabernacle. And what is the tabernacle? It is the place where heaven meets earth. It's where God said, I will show up to you. I will be present with you. Do you know what was in the tabernacle? Fire. It's a representation. Of the Holy Spirit being there too. And what it does is it erases this broken earth, right? It makes what is unholy and just flesh and and material and body and it now becomes heavenly. And in the end time, just read Revelation, okay? The goal is not I'm going to some place and leaving this earth, it's that earth is moving more and more into heaven. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. <laughs> it says when Jesus came, the, the, the curtain of the tabernacle, the, the temple was torn. And it says that Jesus became, the word of God became flesh, and here's the word it says, and tabernacled among us. tabernacled you mean the tabernacle's on the move and then he says I gotta go away because Holy Spirit's gonna come and that fire is gonna rest between you and the earth and that material because when you go out into this earth (laughs) you're helping me bring shalom You're helping me make heaven on earth. When we look at this word shalom, it's easy to interpret it as it means perfectly whole, but but it's more nuanced than that. It's better interpreted pieces put together perfectly. And you have an opportunity when you're under the influence of this Holy Spirit and the scriptures, you're able to bring heaven on earth. And this is why Paul is so adamant and so passionate when he's talking to Timothy. Fan into flame. Bring heaven here. Revelations 21, verses 1 through 5, it says this, Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven, right, and the first earth had passed away, and the sea was no more. I also saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I also heard a loud voice from the throne, saying, Behold, the dwelling of God is among Men and he shall tabernacle among them, and they shall be his people, and God himself shall be among them and their God, and he shall wipe away every tear from their eyes, and death shall be no more, nor shall there be mourning or crying or pain any longer for the former things have passed away. And the one seated upon the throne said, Behold, I am making all things new. It's not the earth as we knew it, as we know it. It's a new earth where heaven is here. <laughs> Do you get this? 2010, me and my wife watch on the news an earthquake in Haiti. and I see my my black brothers and sisters. You saw it. And my emotions, my feelings, my thoughts, all of us had those good thoughts. Something was different though. There was a Holy Spirit that lived in me. This was a new version of Jake. This is a new version of Kim. And after consuming the scriptures, we would read scriptures that said <laughs> that God will be a father to the fatherless. Under the influence of the scripture and the Holy Spirit, God said, you should adopt. You should adopt. This is one way that you can make heaven on earth. This is one way you can take just those thoughts. And I'm not saying that everyone should do that because I don't know what the Holy Spirit is telling you in your context. But I know in my context, this is one way the Holy Spirit said, Let's get in the dirt. We adopted two boys from Haiti. And I can't imagine my life without those two boys. Paul says in Hebrews, he says, "There there are some of you that should be teachers by now. It says, but you're not because your hearing is sluggish, he says. And Because of that, you're still drinking milk when you should be eating meat. Your hearing is sluggish. What is that? It means when the word of God is speaking, when the Holy Spirit is active and speaking something into your world, into your earth, into your material, into your flesh it's filtered through this and it's filtered through that, through that Netflix binge show, through work, through all of that, but by the time it gets to you, it's too late. You're lethargic. And because of that, you're not seeing what you could see because you're not eating you should be eating because our hearing is sluggish. And if you're not careful, that will consume you. Fan into flame. Fan into flame. Would you stand with me? I want to ask you to do something a little different just as we close in prayer. Would you, if you feel comfortable, just hold your hands out like you're receiving something. Would you close your eyes? Holy Spirit. A lot of times we think when we're baptized, when the Holy Spirit fills us up, it's a one-time thing. But we know that every day we need to be filled up with the Holy Spirit. And so I'm asking you, Holy Spirit, right now, in our time and in our context, would you fan into flame? Blow on us, Holy Spirit. Fill us up. Just say this. Fill me up. Fill me up, Holy Spirit. I need it. I need it. Fill me up today to do what I need to do at my work, to do what I need to do in my family, to do what I need to do here on earth, to bring heaven on earth. Fill us up. Fill us up, Holy Spirit. And let us go out there into this earth, into the flesh and the material, and let us bring heaven out there. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. In Jesus' name we pray. Everyone said... Amen. Thank you guys. Love you.